Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hi, I'm Lot Lady of Tarth, hyphen posts on Tumblr, uh, the Lady of Tarth on Twitter, joined with Clotho. Hi, I'm Clotho. You can find me at Clotho Spindle on Twitter. Uh, Devin. Hey, this is Devin GD Harpo on Twitter. And Jinmo. Hi, this is Jinmo. You can find me on uh, at Jinmo on Tumblr and on Twitter. Awesome. Uh, welcome all, um, and thank you for listening and continuing with us on our re-read, re-re-read, I don't even know how many of those there are, <laughs> of Jamie and Brienne chapters. Um, this uh, chapter, we're going into A Feast for Crows, Brienne 2, and warning everybody, spoilers all, and with this episode, there is potential for rape discussion, so trigger warning there. Uh, we have Brienne arriving at Duskendale, and she kind of forces herself to ask the farm folk, you know, if they've seen a fair face made of three and ten. And I say force herself, because you can just see she has such anxiety about talking to people in general. Um, she is stopped at the gates and is asked by the guards uh, what her business is. They don't uh, like the black bat of Lothston on her shield, <laughs> and uh, they call them arms of ill repute. And then we get uh, a little bit of shades of, I think, Duncan Egg with this, and the captain directing her to where his sister's place is, where she can paint over the shield. Um, inside the gates, um, there is uh, basically a marketplace setting, and it's just full of the spoils of war. And then Brienne has this thought, friend or foe, the crows care not. So poetic. <laughs> uh, Brienne meets up with uh, the captain's sister to have her shield painted, and she she can't order her house colors because then it would identify who she is, so instead she thinks of an uh, image that she remembers from her father's armory. Uh, the woman advises Brienne to take a room at the inn because um, her shield will need time to dry. Uh, Brienne takes her advice, and then she gets a room, and with a with bath service, <laughs> she, yeah. she asks the innkeep about the Darklands and if any remain in Duskendale. And basically, the long answer is no. <laughs> what I thought was funny with this chapter and like the previous chapter, the Jamie chapter that we read, they had we had two people like claiming royal blood lineage, and there was also yeah. a duo bat or not bat, sorry, um, crow imagery talking about crows and mm-hmm. thinking about crows i just thought that was kind of neat mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean but like the best part of this is like her getting into the tub and she like jumps in and she starts thinking about another bath she took with a certain somebody <laughs> and then she like tries to scrub away the naked images of jamie from her brain <laughs> so literally every time she takes a bath she's thinking jamie you can pretty much assume <laughs> that's what i pretty much concluded <laughs> yeah, ever in her mind tied to him it kind of reminds me of when uh Jamie is 
looking at Cersei coming out of the bath, and she's like pining for you, like you like lost or whatever, and he's like, "You're a fool." And I'm like, "He's thinking of Brienne." <laughs> <laughs> thinking oh of God. a fuller bush. They yeah, they ah! could never like they could never look at a bath and not think of each other. <laughs> That's their thing now. Anyway. <laughs> I also love how he was like half dead and she's just like he looks like a like half a god half a corpse (laughs) half a god famous (laughs) yes oh (laughs) oh man so once bathed brienne heads out with her letter to inquire about um uh about sansa the castilian is in charge and he can't read so he has a maester brought in to look it over and it would appear that Brienne isn't the only one looking for Danto, says he replies with, How often must I sing this song? <laughs> uh, I guess the gold cloaks had been sent by Tywin, you know, only a few days after Joffrey's murder. And we get a bit of history about Lord Dennis and his lace serpent wife, Lady Sorella, who the small folk blame for the defiance of Duskendale. And mm. uh, the events rumored to have driven King Aerys mad. And we get, you know, a little bit of tale of Sir Barristan, who rescued Aerys, and Lord uh, Dennis, who surrendered afterwards, uh, basically to save his town from being sacked by Tywin. And Dennis was, you know, beheaded uh, as punishment, but his wife met a much, much worse fate. She was tortured quite horribly and then burnt alive. And the worst part is, like, if you still ask the people around these parts, she got off too easy. Gosh. Ugh. It's like, Blamed everything on the woman. Yep. It's like a, <laughs> a lot of xenophobia and a lot of mm-hmm. sexism. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Flagrant. Because she's from somewhere else. and Yeah. Definitely. Um, so uh, the Hollards were all but destroyed as well, with the ex- exception of Nantos, who, you know, Barristan basically begged, not begged, but asked Ares to um, let live. And did, became, did, Were you guys clear on why that was? I was kind of confused. Or was I just not... I recall... Did I miss something? Or was it... I do recall somewhere, I can't even remember what chapter it was, mm. where there was a recollection of the young boy, or the little boy Dantos, and it just... He just Something. Uh, felt sorry for him, I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if there was a specific reason. Okay. No. So Brienne, has- <laughs> uh, <laughs> Brienne leaves and ponders where Sansa could be. Certainly not Duskendale. Uh, maybe Old Town across the narrow sea. Uh, Brella, Sansa's maid, had suggested the north. Um, Brienne then thinks blood calls to blood. Of all of Sansa's living folk left... Lady Liza seems most likely. And then in her musing, she gets lost and turns around to find her way back to the inn when she bumps into a scrawny boy no older than 10 or 12. He stammers an apology and runs off. Brienne thinks he looks familiar. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see him again. Um, So back inside the crowded inn, um, we have a bulbous red-toothed dwarf, um, offering her chair and he's a holy brother and survivor of an attack on one of the holy houses near Maidenpool. Brienne asks if he's seen her lost sister and tells him there's gold in it for the man that helps her find her sister and the dwarf settles uh, for some crab stew instead 
And uh, he says how he had met a fool at Maiden Pool, clad in dirt and rags. He first glimpsed him by the docks, avoiding Tarly's men. And later he encountered him again at a place called the Stinking Goose. He was seeking passage for three across the narrow sea. Brienne wonders if the third is Tyrion. Yeah, yeah we had a, um, a message from, um, it was also Sir Bonifer that sort of related to this part, where she's uh, um, talking to the monk, um, and they say... Uh, it broke my heart when, as Brienne is talking to the dwarf monk, she thinks to how Septeroel had called her slow, and Brienne simply accepts this as a fact. If someone told her this so many times, it must be true um, in her own mind. And this strikes me as one of the differences between show Brienne and book Brienne. Apart from her ugliness, show Brienne doesn't seem as affected by how others judge her, perhaps because she's older and has had time to harden. Or maybe it's just that the show loses the power of POV, Either way, Book Brienne is breaking me with her vulnerability. Um, yeah, there's a lot of self-doubt, you yeah, know. I was thinking of that too, because I, I was reading how she was like, um, just saying, but how she like must be stupid because her septa yeah. told her that. I'm like, she's actually being like super smart. Like all yeah. of her like strategy and way of thinking of like how to find Sansa. Mm-hmm. I was, it's so sad. Yeah. But yeah, on this show, you don't really see any of that at all. Yeah, no. Yeah, I definitely think it's because she's older. Because what is she, 17 in the books? Like 17 or 18 or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, I think she's like 18 to 20. Yeah, and then the show, she's like 30s. 30s on here. (laughs) Yeah. Which I'm okay with, honestly. I would have been weirded out. Yeah. yeah. Kind of been a 17-year-old. Oh, no, yeah. I just feel like, oh, but, oh, but yeah. like removing that aspect of her character, it just like shifts the dynamic. It it just causes like a ripple effect with um her and other yeah. characters. Yeah. Yeah, like I had a moment too. I can't remember if it was in this chapter or the previous brand chapter where they ask is, you know, what's your sister's name? And she's like, uh... Yes! It was this one, yes! Is it this chapter? Okay, (laughs) and I was like, yeah, okay, maybe she she even admits, oh man, that was stupid, I really should have had a name ready to go. But I don't think that speaks to her intelligence so much as her inability to be deceitful. Like, she just doesn't think that way. That's what I was thinking, did she ever present a name? Like, doesn't she just keep asking, did you see a maid of, like, does she ever come up with one? Because I don't remember her concocting one, but... I think she can't be. It's also just her, like, inexperience outside of home. I mean, she was in, like, Renly's camp and all of that, but she hasn't... um, And so she's, like, navigating the world on her own for the first time, and so it's just, like, a learning curve. And what a Um, world to be navigating. uh, Jeez. So, um, let's see, we have... Uh, okay, so the dwarf continues his tale. Uh, one night, Tarly's soldiers came to the stinking goose looking for the fool. And then a few days later, he heard a man named Nimble Dick boasting of how he had fooled a fool. The dwarf finishes his meal and then finishes what's left of Brienne's and then tells her um, she needs to keep her strength up. The roads are perilous. Brienne then thinks, yeah, I know it. Uh, it was this very road that Sir Cleos um, was killed, and her and Jamie were captured by the bloody murmurs. The dwarf tells Brienne she looks sad, thinking she is having thoughts of her sister, 
Uh, he pats her hand, gives reassuring words, and tells her he's on his way to King's Landing. So, man, rereading these, and, like, we know who this dwarf is, and we know what happens to him. It just makes it really heartbreaking to read it again. I know. Because he seems like a really nice, decent guy, you know? It's, yeah, I mean, all it's over and over again. These people are they're going through these horrors of war, and he's giving us these little bits where we're kind of getting a little more personal, I guess, feeling, you know, because it's it's disconnected a lot of the time. But you need these moments where she's, you know, or whatever character is connecting with people, and then it's horrible to see, you know, um, what was it when they hung the oh, what is the lady that chewed the the red leaf and you know. Oh, I forget her name, but you just, you know, that you have these incidents. Where, yes, yes. Heddle. Yep. Masha. Was it Masha? Masha, Masha, Masha. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just horrible when you, you know, you find out their fates later. But, oh, God. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, what's a really great too, in a way to, you know, look at these, uh, this, this woven story that George has created, that he's tied all these, you know, quote unquote bit parts to the ma- other major characters. Like, I just, it's just something you can really appreciate on the rereads. Let's see. So, Brienne uh, recollects Maiden Pool when she last saw it. It's Lord shut up inside, the small folk dead or dying, um, burned houses and empty streets. She also thinks of Jamie singing Six Maids in a Pool. <laughs> of all the things. <laughs> <laughs> How could you not think of that? (laughs) He's been such a thin dick. (laughs) So he would love it if he knew that that she was. Yeah, I think that would bring a lot. I also love. I also love how like everything is like, oh, Jamie and I did this, and oh, this is where Jamie did that. Yeah, like when you travel someplace and you're, you know, you had been there before with your friend, and you're like reliving all the moments. (laughs) Oh God. So as the common room begins to empty, she listens to the gossip of the tables. Mostly it's about Tywin's death. And uh, one person asks, who is to rule us until the king comes of age? Kevin, Lord Tyrell, or the Kingslayer? And then the innkeep says, not him, and then spits in the fire. And then like after that, Brienne's like, okay, I've heard enough. Yes. <laughs> Another moment. Such a visceral yeah. reaction. <laughs> She can't stand listening to people <laughs> talk bad about him. Yeah. I just love how it progressed to that stage from a storm of swords to now she can't even hear someone just speaking about the Kingslayer without getting upset. It's breaking my heart. <laughs> like, if only he knew. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, let's see, she, I guess, retires, and then she has this nightmare of Renly's death, only this time it's not Renly, but Jamie. And uh, in the morning, the woman charged with painting her shield finds her, and Brienne tells her that she did beautifully. After paying her, Brienne rides out past the northern gate of Duskendale, and she observes graves of the western men and stormlanders and knights from the Reach, all who have been given a burial with the hero's tomb beneath the steps of Duskendale. And then the northerners were buried in a common grave. Uh, there's a rough wooden marker that says, Here lie the wolves. 
she recalled. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say we have, um, there was a letter, um, that we had, that somebody wrote in. Sorry. <laughs> I'll get myself together. Um, it's from M. They just have as a capital M, um, Gmail. And it says, ladies, Brienne stops at a grave of Northern dead to pray and swears to Catelyn's restless shade that she, and I don't know if this is from, is this from this chapter or is this from the previous? I think this is, I don't know if this no, is No, no, it's this, this one. Yeah. This one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, that she will find Sansa even at the cost of her own dreams and honor. Yes, it's this one because I actually wrote down that part where she talks about honor. Yes. I was like, I will give up my honor for Sansa. So I was like, oh, that's a little foreshadowing there. Yeah, me no yeah, like That stood out to me too. <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. But honor to who, right? Because she's Yeah, because pledged. it's... Um, yeah, could it be, it could be her, cause she's, she, and she goes on to say this stone heart for shattering, you know, suggests that she is not completely naive or inflexible about her honor. Um, uh, and she also goes on, I'd, I'd like to point out that there's quite a bit of respect for the dead in this chapter and Jamie one compared to a lot of a song of ice and fire. The dwarf who buries all his holy brothers before meeting Brienne is the most pure hearted character in the series, in my opinion. The sign marking the northern grade is mocking, but it's meant to double as a warning against rebellion. A mass grave may be the least one can do to respect enemy dead, but it's not nothing. Um, my dad was once responsible for burying enemies dead three days after a battle in tropical weather. It was messy business. One of his soldiers was terrified that vengeful spirits would come after him for desecrating their bodies, which oh had fallen apart. I know, this is pretty intense. Um, as he had loaded them onto his truck. My dad made him tea and prayed with him to God, Buddha, and every other deity and saint he could think of including the spirits of the dead. Um, ancestor worship was dom- dominant in this area. Then he sent him back to work. It wasn't until I was retelling his story later that I realized my dad had knocked on the door of a truck piled with decomposing corpses and said to the shell-shocked driver, hey, ga- hey guy, what's wrong? But this time he had been living and fighting in a war for 12 years, and when the grave was done, he had a mocking hand-painted wooden sign erected over it, which was not quite as respectful as the one given those northerners. Um, this world GRRM created is not so different from our own, respectfully. Um, yeah, it's a really good, good point. I mean, that is like a chilling uh, yeah. e- a yeah. message to get, but also it's yeah. very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, so, I mean, intense. it's just speaks to his like writing that he's trying to make that, you know, it, people say, oh, it's gritty. But I mean, I think he's trying to give us a feel that this make it feel more human, make it feel more real that these people aren't just like. You know, it's not just good and evil and there's all different shades and things. War does that to you. Yeah, and it's kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Like the impacts of war mm-hmm. and... Uh, Bit of desensitization and just all our issues at play. Um, going back to that honor part, um, it's kind of off topic, but I was reminded of um, the arguments of, Jane, or of Brienne not sleeping with Jamie out because of honor or whatever before marriage. Hmm. And I, when I read that line, I was just like, <laughs> it's flexible. See? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a neon sign for us. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. I've never seen that argument. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It, it's oh, the biggest argument for them not getting together before. That marriage. drives me. Why insane. do people hate happiness? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
like that needs, that needs to be in our little summary. Why do people hate that? <laughs> Why do people hate what? Happiness. Happiness. How so. <laughs> are you gonna say genitals? Why do people hate genitals? <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like part of the point too is that she's kind of discovering what's honorable, like kind of redefining what is and what isn't honorable, you know, with, through her journey because it's not a black and white thing. Um, yeah. Anyways, that line just kind of reminded me of it just now. Yeah. I don't know. That one, that one put, stopped me in my tracks too, to hear Brienne swear to give up her honor, you know, to fulfill her vow to Catelyn. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And I think people just breeze right over that. I think people don't take into account that she's multi-layered and she's not just this one-dimensional like super, super so honorable that nothing will break her. We'll see. Maybe. Anyway. (laughs) On her way, Brienne questions fisher folk, uh, which proves fruitless. Rain starts to roll in and she takes shelter in the ruins of an old hollered castle. She hears the sound of another horse approaching. And she spies a small rider and then wonders if maybe it's the Mad Mouse. And she wonders if Sir Shadrick thinks her easy prey because she is a woman. Um, and then we get a recollection of Brienne and Humphrey Wagstaff, which I really love, so I'm going to read it. Um, Humphrey, name. <laughs> Humphrey Wagstaff <laughs> was his name. A proud old man of five and sixty, with a nose like a hawk and a spotted head. The day they were betrothed, he warned Brienne that he would expect her to be a proper woman once they'd wed. I will not have my lady wife cavorting about in man's mail. On this you shall obey me, lest I be forced to chastise you. She was sixteen and no stranger to a sword, but still shy despite her prowess in the yard. Yet somehow she had found the courage to tell Sir Humphrey that she would accept chastisement only from a man who could outfight her. The old knight purpled, but agreed to don his own armor to teach her a woman's proper place. They fought with blunted tourney weapons, so Brienne's mace had no spikes. She broke Sir Humphrey's collarbone, two ribs, and their betrothal. He was her third prospective husband, and her last her father did not insist again. <laughs> I really love that bit. <laughs> um, so she starts wondering, you know, if this is Sir Shadrick that's following her. And she starts to strategize what her plan of attack is going to be. And then she thinks of her old master at arms, Sir uh, Goodwin. And uh, I guess his teachings. So this was also a very short one, but I liked it. Men will always underestimate you, he said, and their pride will make them want to vanquish you quickly, lest it be said a woman had tried them sorely. She had learned the truth of that once she went into the world. Even Jamie Lannister had come at her that way, in the woods by Maiden Pool. If the gods were good, the Mad Mouse would make the same mistake. He may be a, a seasoned knight, she thought, but he is no Jamie Lannister. <laughs> Who is? <laughs> <laughs> She's such a Jamie fangirl. No. I know. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, but her follower proves to be a, the same skinny little boy who bumped into her at Duskendale. And then she always realizes that she also saw him at Rosby. 
Brand sneaks up behind his horse and gives it a whack. The boy is dismounted and lands in the mud. Brian uh, holds her, him at sword point and demands to know who he is. And he stammers out Podrick Payne um, with quite some effort. Brian feels a wave of sympathy for the boy, remembering how she couldn't say her greetings to Sir Ronan, the one, uh, the words that her septa had coached her on. She asks him if he's a spy for Varys or the Queen, and he says neither. He then tells her that he is a squire, the hand squire, not Tywin, but his son. I shout it, half man. Brienne asks him again why he is following her, uh, and he says that he heard from Brella, Sansa's handmaid, that Brienne was looking for her, and if she found her in anguish, Podrick says, I'm his squire, but he left me. So sad. Breaks my heart every fucking time. No. Like he's just following Brienne, just so if Brienne finds Sansa, he probably finds Tyrion. Oh my god. Yeah. Has there ever been a more loyal squire? Yeah. Like a lost puppy. Does Tyrion ever think of Podrick? Does anyone know? Can't remember. I can't either. Yeah. I've wiped that last Tyrion reread from my mind. No! <laughs> I don't think he does. So bad. Sure. Oh, no, go, go back and listen to our episodes. Those were a slog, I remember. <laughs> Maybe too self centered. To... I have a feeling if he did, it wasn't much. Yeah, so that's it for the chapter got mail yeah we got um i'm gonna start at the top here uh some of it's gonna i know we actually didn't get into depth about this but um uh sir bonifer had another comment which was um how does brienne not know she's related to sir duncan at all (laughs) martin has confirmed that brienne is related to sir duncan yet in the chapter she doesn't give any indication that she understands the significance of the coat of arms she has painted onto her shield Sure, Sir Duncan died about 20 years before she was born, but he was Lord Commander of the King's Guard, and his deeds filled four pages of the Book of Brothers. Isn't this the sort of relative your family would crow about? Yeah, I mean, that I, is I agree. I mean, and it's not that long. I could see if it was like 200 years, and it was a dusty old shield. and But even then, if he was that big of a name, like, it is a little odd. And I don't know if we ever get a yeah. clear explanation as to why that was just, you know... That I mean, could just be on... George R. R. Martin's end just failing to <laughs> so, <laughs> realize that, oh, that would probably, that name hole. would be in this family, her family. Yeah. Because it is a cool connect. Like, it's cool to think about. It would be cool. Oh, I like how he did it. Oh, there's it's just a random shield. Cool. Yeah. It'd be like one of yeah. us having, like, a rock star relative <laughs> that died 20 years before we were born. There's no way we wouldn't know about that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, well, I she do. doesn't know anything really about her mother, so oh, maybe it came from her. He came from her mother's side, hmm. and so that's why the name's not around because her dad isn't is related to him. Yeah. I still would think, man, I totally married like a relative, Sir Dunk the Tall. Like I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> Um, and we have, uh, let's see, we have a Tumblr Anon, um, finally catching up after a long work trip. Is Quiver gonna let Cersei know that Jamie and Bran took a naked bath together? 
maybe this will come up later in the cast as I had possibility not to bring it up. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you think, I mean, as close as they seemed on the show, I mean, in the books, I don't know, but I mean, you'd think that might be something <laughs> if he was trying to stir some trouble up, which he seems like the type. <laughs> yeah, Kyber and his, oh. his character is so bizarre on the show. I mean, a lot of characters were bizarre on the show, but I never understood his I've... devotion to Cersei. I mean, she allowed him to do the crazy shit he wanted to do in the books, so I get that. I don't know. I feel like the next book should just be a bunch of people telling Cersei all these Jamie and Brienne stories. Like, oh, yeah, that, that would be, that would be a place for it to come up. <laughs> and then Red Ron it to be like, so... <laughs> see this chip too? <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I would love that if we could just see her, like, you could see the smoke coming out of her ears as, like, more and more people make little snide comments or just, like, not even trying to be snide. Just a little all offhand. Or, or she just, hears like, a song about them, a song written about them, like somebody singing a song about them running away <laughs> They're all just like shipping Jamie Brand. <laughs> Man, that Jamie and Brand. <laughs> a song would be amazing if there's some yeah, kind of song yeah. written about them and it makes its way back to her. That would be it really has to great. happen. He can't as much as he loves those songs, it can't it cannot happen. <laughs> so we got another um and I did, you know, the, 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 I feel terrible about this. I missed like I haven't I've been so insanely busy and I was out of town. I didn't I'm sort of lost about this, but there's um, Jenna wrote in again, and then Guile wrote in again, so I'll read Jenner's first, but um, hi, ladies, and sometimes Devin. Um, <laughs> warning, this is going to get long, and I'm not sure how long. I was surprised that y'all read my email on the podcast, but happy that it made y'all laugh. When Shiki said it was well-written, I swooned a little bit because I'm, combined, I'm combing through AO3 and have been reading as much JB Fick as I can, so the compliment is, was very flattering. With the constant got a song of ice and fire presence due to the show clout, Brad and I's conversation <laughs> are much less a song of ice and fire centered. Though still full of snark. Ironically, last Tuesday I was listening to the show on my way to work and laughed along with you guys about my email. I forgot that it was actually my five year anniversary with work and they had a small party for me in the morning. Brad was in attendance and for once very sincere in his speech about our time working together, etc. I feel a small pang of guilt. I felt a small pang of guilt due to the irony about it all until the next day when he wore his Greyjoy socks to work and had come to tell me that he was wearing them. As you were a little <laughs> laughing face there. I'm really excited to get more into Brienne's head now that we're into Feast, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about the Oathkeeper scene before we leave it behind. I'm chugging through dance currently. Um, um, uh, okay, I said... I came across a line te- from Tyrion about Jamie, and I marked it because I hadn't remembered. He was my own blood, my strong big brother, my big strong brother. When I thought he was small, he when I was small, he brought me toys, barrel hoops, and blocks, and a carved wooden lion. He gave me my first pony and taught me how to ride him. When he said that he had bought you for me, I never doubted him. And that's Tyrion Five, A Dance with Dragons. Um, first thoughts. Oh my God, Jamie, you got ja- gigantic softy bringing toys to your baby brother um, mm-hmm. that everyone else is mean to. Then teaching him how to ride a pony, even though he must have that must have been very difficult. This must have enraged Cersei, but Jamie did it anyway. My heart. Then I was listening to the reread of Brienne, and I and I um, and Brienne won, and someone commented on how outwardly Jamie is just kind of an asshole to everyone, including Brienne, and even the people he undisputedly cares for in canon. Tyrion and Cersei, he is still a total sarcastic, snarky jerk. A lot of the time. Your grace, he said, when he and Cersei were alone, I was wondering, 
Are you drunk or merely stupid? This got me thinking about Jamie's love languages, romantic regarding Brienne and familiar with Tyrion. I'm not sure if I can summarize it here, but here he goes. Words of affirmation, explicitly telling your loved ones you feel how you feel compliments and encouragement. And then there's physical touch and then there's gift of gift giving um, quality time and acts of service. So I think it's clear that Jamie's biggest way of showing love is through gift giving. We see this in Oathkeeper vividly. It's almost like Brienne is a constant, a contest on the Wheel of Fortune or something. And Jamie is just the Vanna White out here revealing <laughs> all her prizes. New dress, Jamie commissioned. Priceless Valyrian steel sword. Pretty horse with all new stuff. Custom armor. Supplies for the road. Cold hard cash. A royal pardon. His own shield he used after hair and all. I think that's it, but I might be forgetting something. Anyway, I've seen people argue that Jamie is setting Brienne up because it's the right thing to do and not because he feels romantic, which is crazy. But we could see in the text that by Tyrion's quote that Jamie's got a habit of gift giving to the ones he loves. It's the right thing to send her on the quest, but he um, he doesn't have to load her up with all the bells and whistles. That's accurate. In the cases, I don't. I, think I don't are, know if it was like a drunk cast episode. I kind of think yeah. it was, but the, the question was like, who would give the best gifts? I was like, oh, Jamie Lannister. Yes, <laughs> yes, I remember that. Yes, that's his, yes, totally his thing. Yep. <laughs> For the record, I'm an acts of service kind of girl. <laughs> <laughs> I like doers. <laughs> I remember that his love language was really popular like some years back. Maybe yeah. it's still are. My, they say my conclusion, Jamie's number one love language is gift giving for expressing himself as we see the pattern for Tyrion and Brienne. So we see him loading her with anything because he loves her. He wants to take care of her and Jamie doesn't really recognize it yet, but fingers crossed for wins. Also, you're um you receiving and expressing love languages can be different. So I think Jamie is so starved for genuine affection that anyone doing any of the five love languages for him would touch him. But I think his recent love language, I'm sorry, receiving love language might be acts of service. And I think Jamie is going to flip when he finds out that not only did Brienne go on this long quest to keep his oath and preserve his honor, an act of service, that she was willing to die for him, another act of service. Interesting that we never really see Jamie ever give Cersei anything except the D, I guess. Sorry that got so long, but thank you for doing what you do. Your, your newest patron on Patreon, Jenner. And, and then they have a little afterwards. Also, you'll found, y'all found me on Twitter. I guess that would have been Guile, which I really haven't used since 2013. And I don't really know how it works, but I'm loving reading all of your tweets and stuff. They always make me giggle. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm yeah, going to have to go and, back. And to just so you know, when you say Brad, you have to say Brad. Brad. <laughs> is, that how, is that how Giles says? Yes, Brad. <laughs> and, and speaking of Giles, she wrote in. So this is the nice, this is the last one in the follow-up. Um, she wrote in and said, guys, I have a thought. Hearing about the continuing adventures of Jenner and Brad, are they our next JB? Actually, that's probably taking far, <laughs> isn't it? Not every couple with a somewhat antagonistic relationship is going to fall in love. So maybe I just want someone to use a Jenner slash Brad scenario in their next JB fan fiction. Please. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> She's writing Jenner and Brad fan fiction. <laughs> or at least uh, hinting that she wants that. Yeah, she wants somebody. <laughs> somebody That's do it. funny. <laughs> Oh man! So that's it, right? Yep, that is all of our mail. Excellent. Um, so we do like getting your messages, and you can send us that at 
close the door and at gmail.com close the door and come here.tumblr.com follow us on twitter at door podcast uh, support this podcast on patreon uh, like subscribe review like wherever everywhere that always helps um we do have a subreddit jamie and brianne and i think i got all the things so thank you everybody for podcasting i'm closing the door get out